morning. Welcome back to the podcast. It's been a while, and it's definitely been a while since we looked into the text, Genesis, together. Um, But I want to jump back into Genesis chapter 1, and then um, as the weeks sort of progress, uh, as we're back in a regular rhythm, uh, I want to get back into Genesis 1, look at Genesis 1 and 2, how they relate to each other, uh, and then look at some issues in Genesis chapter 3, what's going on there, um, and, and do more of a, hey, let's really like ask specific uh, sort of pointed questions. What's up with these characters or these incidents or, or whatever? As, as we've been digging through Genesis chapter 1, what I've pressed us to think about is, here's what's on the surface of the text of Genesis chapter 1, and here's what's going on that's that's happening based on what's being said, or it seems to be happening based on what's being said, or this is how certain groups understand what's happening based on what's being said. And here are things that aren't necessarily being um, stated, or they're stated in such a way that the picture of what we think is happening in Genesis 1 might be a bit bigger, or a bit shifted, or a bit nuanced than we typically assume when we just come to the text of Genesis. So we've talked about the days and how many days there are uh, as far as, um, sorry, we've talked about the length of those days. There are seven. Everybody says there's seven days in Genesis. But we've talked about what's going on with the length of each of those days and what the time span looks like. And so as we've gone through this, we've sort of unpacked some various ideas. Today, I want to talk about this idea of temple and priest kings uh, as part of Genesis chapter 1. And so we're going to pick back up here. And like most things in the scripture, the ideas in Genesis 1 uh, are an interconnected set of ideas to other texts beyond Genesis 1. Especially the idea of the image of God, or the imago Dei, if we want the classic Latin. This idea of the image of God is 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 a connected idea to other texts as as the scripture moves forward and moves us to Revelation. And along the way, this idea of the image and what an image is comes up in significant ways. Most of us are familiar with it as we would talk about things like the Ten Commandments or something like that. But I think what we really need is a good look at Genesis 1 and maybe a bit of Genesis 2 as a kind of complementary story here in order to understand the significance of what's happening with this idea of the image of God. And that's really the focal point today. So first thing we need to acknowledge is that God created, period. And what God made was good. Genesis 1 verse 4, 10, 12, 18, 21, 25... But when God made humanity, he then says that it was all very good. He surveys his creation, and now it's very good. God's creation is very good with humanity among it, to carry the image and likeness of God, to rule and work with him over his good creation. So while we tend to narrow our focus in Genesis to just talking about what this means to be the image of God and how humanity is intended to rule with God, to relate with God, to live among God and his creation, the fuller picture of Genesis 1 in talking about this idea of priest kings helps us fill out the meaning and carry it well, at least carry it better 
today. We've noted along the way in Genesis chapter 1 that the message and scope of God's creation is bigger and has more layers and nuance to it than first appears with cursory readings. We, we've talked about that. Um, the days. Seven 24-hour days. Okay. But what's bigger, what's more nuanced, what has depth to it is the fact that the days find parallels. Day 1 and day 4, day 2 and day 5, day 3 and day 6. And those parallels run deep. If we listen to people like John Walton, uh, those parallels have to do with form, function. They have to do with purpose and intentionality. And so Genesis 1 through 3, we have to acknowledge that it's densely packed literature. And it's literature that covers what seems to be essential for the biblical narrative, for the storyline, and for the theology that's there. But it's not necessarily covering everything. So we need to take careful study to really understand the depths of what is going on in Genesis 1, 2, 3. Genesis 1 has been interpreted many ways throughout the history of Judaism and in the Christian church. Remember, most of our early Christians are taking their cues or their uh, theological grounding from the Judaism they're seeing this faith in Jesus as a fulfillment of. So one of those readings that's shared between Jewish scholarship and the church has been the idea that Genesis 1 tells us about God's creation. Some form about how God created and some about the structures. But the text, in partnership with Genesis 2 shows us a way to see God's creation and Eden and the garden as a kind of temple. And so this is something we we need to talk about. So really I'm going to rely on my understanding of this comes primarily from the work of John Walton. And um, he's brought sort of fresh eyes to Genesis 1 as a kind of temple-related text in recent scholarship, at least in my experience. That's where I've come across it. Walton's work emphasizes function and purpose and the intimacy of a temple setup with priests and priestly work. So, if we look at the broad and the established creation of Genesis 1 and 2, we notice that just on a basic level, there's a kind of center of all things created. The garden with the trees of life and the knowledge of good and evil. And then there's the land of Eden, and then there's outside of Eden, the dust of the earth from which Adam is created. So, go back and remember Genesis chapter 2, Adam is made from the dust of the earth, and then placed inside the garden. Implying that he was made in and made by the dust of the earth outside the garden. And then he's put into it. So when we look at creation in this sort of frame of reference, we notice that there are three major spaces of or on the earth at this point. So there's the center of the garden and the garden in Eden. This is sort of like a 1A and 1B space. It's, it's the, the, the center of the garden of Eden with the tree of life, sort of the holy of holies, and then the garden of Eden is sort of the holy place. 
And then outside the garden, there's the land of Eden. And then, which, remember, Eden's bounded by those four rivers mentioned. And then outside of Eden is the dust of the earth, to which Adam and Eve will be exiled as they have to cultivate the land to produce crops. Walton and so many others have noted that this structure gets recreated, it seems, or, or re-imaged, recycled in the establishment of the tabernacle and the temple. At the heart, we find the holy of holies and the holy space, and then the temple with its courts, and then the land outside the temple to the ends of the earth. And, and we are looking at a, a sort of re-imaged mirror of what Genesis 1 has been doing with Eden and the garden. It seems, it seems. So when we look at Genesis 1 through the eyes of like a temple-based people group, we remember that we're talking about people who are centered around a temple. And we consider what's going on with God's storyline in Genesis, who also cares a great deal about the temple. Humanity made in the image and likeness of God presents us with an idea that if, if they're made and placed in a temple, then, then we typically would think of somebody in that position as a priest. And so in making humanity in the image and likeness of God, has God made himself a priesthood? The images of gods or kings were objects of worship. They were representations of divine presence amongst humanity. Images were placed in temples, courtyards, and in places the king wasn't in order to indicate heaven and earth were coming together in the presence of this king whose image was the presence of the king. And so in Genesis 1 through 3, God walks with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And in the Garden of Eden, we, we find a space where heaven and earth meet, where God and humanity are together. This is the whole purpose of temple throughout human culture, but especially throughout Christian scripture. Humanity is the image of God. Who's, uh, is, humanity is the image of God. God is not always visible, although clearly humanity is not to be worshipped like ancient kings insisted. Perhaps that plot twist in ancient theologies is a, is a result of the fall. God is seen to be... God is to be seen. Sorry about that. God is to be seen by his entire creation in the leadership and in the service in the image of the humans who carry the image of God into the world God created. See, this representative function of humanity is what sets us up to talk about being priests who rule with God because he charges us to have dominion. Genesis 1, 26, 27, etc. Humanity is to have dominion over creation and represent God to that creation and creation back to God. Walton and others have picked up on these ideas and understood that what God intends in Genesis 1 and 2 is a place to dwell with and among what he's made. However, God wishes to share that dwelling and that rulership with people who partner with him. Humanity created in the image and likeness of God is supposed to be priest 
and king of a space where God and creation coexist. Figures like King David, who dances before the presence of the Lord while wearing the linen ephod of a priest, should call our memory back to God's intention for a priest-king partnership from Genesis 1 and 2. If you want the David dancing in the linen ephod text, see 2 Samuel 6. If humanity are God's representatives on the earth, then our rulership is by nature priestly. Humanity called to be priests, king, partners with the Lord. Bringing his ways, his kingdom, and his glory to the forefront of creation all the time. Making visible the presence of the God who's not visible. Although, doing so in ways that don't demand worship. Because humanity's not to be worshipped. Humanity is to worship with the rest of creation. The God who has created it. That's how this is supposed to go. Jewish scholarship and the church have had this idea for a very long time. God's creation is a temple structure. There's a, there's a, a center of holiness, perhaps the tree of life, the garden of Eden. Then there's the land of Eden, which seems to be the sort of the temple courts and the, the, the broad temple space. And then there's the land outside it. That still seems to be, when, when Adam's made in Genesis 2, still seems to be wild and waste. It's not producing anything. It's dust. And Adam's made out there and then brought into the place at the center of everything where he's to keep it. And when the the priests are established in the Old Testament law, they're charged with working and keeping. It's the same charge given to Adam for what he's supposed to do in the garden. But the priests are supposed to do that for the tabernacle and the temple space and all of the objects of worship that are properly belong to it. So, what we have, I think, in Genesis 1 is the creation of the heavens and the earth. But we have it in such a way that I think it's presented to us as a space that says, hey, this is my dwelling. This is, this is my temple. This is where I will live with what I have created. And in doing so, establishing humanity as priests and kings to partner with God. Until next time.